Hello, and welcome back to the Talk Nats podcast. My name is Kevin Nibley, and I'm joined by Brian King. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. What's what's new with you? What are you drinking today? Well, it's like 11 o'clock right now <laughs> on, uh, in, in Los Angeles, so I'm drinking coffee. That's responsible. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be drinking a lot of beer today. I'm, I'm brewing some beer with my lady, uh, so wow. I'm saving it. Yeah, yeah, we got into beer brewing because... We like to spend all Saturday measuring large quantities of liquid <laughs> into giant glass things. And, yeah. Nice. It's, it's 2 p.m. In, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, so I, I have a Tecate. Time for Tecate. Yeah. It's, a, bre- it's a breakfast beer. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but anyway, um, the Nats, uh, how uh, do you feel about this off season uh pretty busy yeah i mean you know you can't complain with the uh the nats off season they've at least tried um which you know is more than you can say for a lot of teams in major league baseball these days sure i still think they're uh, a craig kimbrell away from a world series team but we'll get into that later in the show for sure yeah i, I mean i'm okay to bryce left uh I, I do like the corbin signing i think it was maybe a little bit of an overpay, but they needed a third starter. I, I do think the reason uh, they had a disappointing season last year was obviously because Gio and Tanner in the middle weren't that good. But I don't know. You know, it should be. It's an interesting season. I could see it going a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the you know the NL East is so much better this year than they've been in the years past. I think the Nats had to you know make the moves they did to improve their team. You saw. Last offseason, they kind of treaded water a little bit and said, you know, we're, we're good and assumed that they could just kind of waltz through the NL East. And we obviously saw that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, uh, Bryce Harper, how did you feel about him leaving the team? Did you want to re-sign him for something like 13, 330? Do you think he should have thanked the fans in a letter or <laughs> just like, even a tweet? You know, I don't know. What do you, where are you on that? So personally, I think the Harper stuff has been beaten to death it's kind of like when robert you know rg3 left the redskins and everyone just obsesses over him yeah you know hey look we knew he was gonna leave you knew he was gonna get probably way more than the nats were willing to pay so mentally emotionally and on a fan level i was prepared i you know i had no expectations of him really coming back as far as you know him thanking the fans i mean i don't know man like sure would it have been a nice gesture i guess like do i think he's a because he didn't like no i you know i thought like a tweet would have been nice i I wasn't looking for the full page ad in the washington post and like a long heartfelt essay but just 140 characters (laughs) just not a smooth operator just doesn't have that touch of class but that's like who he is and i'm like you know he's that same player for philly and we'll see how the fans there respond when he goes into one of his patented two-month slumps where he hits like 150 and you know strikes out every time yeah like that's more my issue with bryce you know i'm just like the dude disappears for two months out of every season it seems like except for 2015 yep and that's really that's brutal (laughs) anyway that's probably enough of us uh blabbering um as always, uh, check us out on Twitter at uh, TalkNats Podcast, and please listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Right now, we're going to bring in our first guest, Neil Greenberg from the Washington Post. Neil, thanks a lot for taking some time with us today. Uh, sure, no problem. Appreciate you having me on. Now, we've been talking about Bryce Harper for a little bit. Um, you valued him way less than 13 years, $330 million. You had him more around 10 to 40. How did you come up with that number? I use a projection system that um, was the 
developed by um, a guy named Tom Tango, uh, who worked for some MLB teams. He now works for MLB uh, proper. And I, I tweaked it a little bit with some insight from some uh, analytics folks around baseball. Um, but essentially what it does is it looks at a weighted three-year average of production and then applies an aging curve to that going forward and tries to get a sense of, of how good a player will be over the next one, two, five, ten years and then assigns a, a dollar value to that. We know um, that baseball teams are willing to pay about $8 million in free agency for each win above replacement a player can provide. Um, so you, you take those projections and then you, um, you put them with some dollar figures and you end up getting a, a, an estimate of what, a, of what a player will be worth. So do you think 2015 was truly an outlier season for Bryce? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's yeah. no... There's no question that it was an outlier. You look at how good he was that year in terms of production, um, and and not only has he not been close, but very few players get to to that level. Um, that's not to say that he won't be worth almost ten wins above replacement again, which is what earned him the unanimous MVP vote in 2015. Um, but that's an extremely high bar. I mean, you look since 2006. Um, there are not a lot of players that have uh, reached that benchmark. And I go back to 2006 because that's when baseball started doing, um, you know, mandatory drug testing. Yeah. Um, so we've really had, you know, guys like Mike Trout, who is obviously the best hitter in baseball. He's done it. But um, there's been very few others that have uh, come close to that type of season. So, um, yeah, I think that that's more of Harper's peak then it is the norm going forward. Um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see if that really pans out. Do you think uh, Philly fans can look forward to having him in his prime? Or do you think the league's figuring him out a little bit? Well, I definitely think the league has figured him out a little bit. They're starting to, to shift on him a little bit more often, not only in the infield, but also the outfield. Um, he had, I want to say, about 300 at, uh, plate appearances last year against the shift did not do well against the shift. He was obviously, his OPS went down from, I want to say like 890 without the shift to about 620 with the shift, wow. which is a huge drop. So teams are seeing what he's done and they're starting to uh, to adjust. So yeah, I, I think that um, Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper is going to be a very good baseball player. I, I mean, he's, yeah. he's a very good baseball player. There's no There's no doubt about it. Um, but he's not an elite baseball player. And I think that that's really where my, uh, my perception of him differs from most people, um, you know, especially most fans around baseball. Did you think there was ever really going to be a chance that Bryce would come back to DC? You look at, um, some of the, the talks after he signed, right? He never gave, uh, the Washington Nationals fans a, a proper goodbye. Yeah, I never yeah, thanked yeah. them for his service in in Washington. You know, thanked them for their loyalty in Washington. Um, he talked about how the the Nationals didn't really make him a fair offer. A lot of their three hundred million ten year deal was deferred um, through Harper's sixties, um, which is yeah. just absolutely ludicrous to think that um, you know the Nationals would would be in in the running with that type of contract so i think there were some hard feelings and and i think he wanted to go to philadelphia he wanted to be the highest paid player in baseball um in terms of contract value and he got his wish looking at the nl east race there seems to be some variations between what fan graphs and baseball prospectus projects why is that 
And how do you see the division shaking out? Well, it's it's based on individual player projections, and then they, they weight those for playing time, and, and they simulate seasons. Uh, both organizations go about their valuations differently. I think they that everyone could agree that it's going to be pretty close, right? I mean, yeah. Nationals probably the front runner right now um, with the Phillies, Mets, and Braves all bunched behind. It's I would say it's probably a pick em as to which one is really second, third, and fourth. But I don't think there's anyone that thinks that any team is going to run away with the division. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable making any sort of claim as to who's going to win like I might, let's sure, say, in the sure. NL West with the Dodgers or the Cleveland Indians or something like that. But, um, you know, I think it might give us something to watch because, let's face it, the divisional races haven't really been that spectacular lately. So do you think Craig Kimball would swing the race for any of these clubs? Um, I do. And I, and I think, you know, you look at uh, bullpen help, especially with how bullpens are being used now. I mean, they're they're using openers, right? They're using relief pitchers at the start of games. They're, they're not having pitchers go three times through the order as much anymore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it could it could certainly impact the race. Um, but, again, I mean, we're talking about teams that are separated between, you know, one, two, maybe four games. Mm. But, um, you know, it's certainly better to have a guy like that than not, um, especially if you can keep him from some of your rivals. All right, Neil. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time with us. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Neil. All right. Uh, that was Neil Greenberg from the Washington Post. Uh, really cool stats focus writer. I'm really glad he took the time with us. Yeah, that was super cool. So Neil thinks that Bryce is a good but not elite player. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. Like, yeah. you know, Mike Trout, I would have paid $500 million, no problems, whatever. You know, that guy yeah. is, is a, you know, best player of his generation by far. Bryce, yeah. I think he's an all-star level of quality player. He's going to help you from a marketing side, um, make your team money. But you've already got a Juan Soto who, you know, it's early, but looks like you got a replacement there right there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sweating it. Um, anyway, that leads us into... One of my favorite segments, uh, freaking, tweaking, etc., etc. Um, first up, Sean Doolittle's fastball velocity. Are you freaking, tweaking, or are you having some caviar at Nats Park? You know, I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm I'm tweaking a little bit. I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking. That's his bread and butter, and you know more than just how many ticks on the Raider Gunner's fastball is in spring training. The guy's not getting any younger. He's not the most healthy, durable um, pitcher. I think, you know, just slotting him in as your closer and assuming he's going to be dominant again like he was last year, I think that's very complacent level thinking. And this kind of brings me to the whole bullpen as a, as a, as a larger issue, which yeah. is I still think we're, we're a little short there. I'm at a tweak as well. I, I, I mean, I love Doolittle. He's one of my favorite Nats. But yeah, I mean, he lives and dies with that fastball and especially that rising fastball that, that hitters just can't get on top of and a velocity drop or any kind of injury he's working through you know, it could really affect his performance. Uh, next up, Patrick Corbin, not really dominating the Grapefruit League. Uh, are you freaking, tweaking, making some plans for the Cherry Blossom Festival? I'd love to go to the Cherry Blossom Festival. Don't get to, uh, <laughs> to see the Cherry Blossoms out here on the West Coast as much. So I, I'm, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty chill about it. It's spring training. And they're, not, they're not sequencing like they would in a game. They're not game planning. Yeah. Um, as much. The adrenaline's not going like it is. So we'll see. I'm not super worried about spring training results at the end of the day. 
yeah, I, I think I'm going to go to the Cherry Blossom Festival. I think, uh, you know, we, we can give him the month of April and May before we uh, start freaking out that that wasn't a good signing. And finally, uh, Ryan Zimmerman as the starting first baseman for the Washington Nationals in 2019. Are you freaking, tweaking, uh, listening to uh, some Yacht Rock? I guess I'm, I'm indulging in some Yacht Rock. Um, the main thing with Ryan Zimmerman is always just, is he healthy? When he's healthy, he hits. Um, and, you know, he's going to be a streaky hitter. That's who he is. But, sure. uh, you know, he'll put up his, his numbers. I don't, I'm not concerned about his spring training at all. It's spring training, whatever. Um, hey, at least he played this year. That's yeah, he played, thing. whatever. You got Matt Adams. Let them split time more. Keep Ryan Zimmerman fresh. You know, you look at the numbers combined with Zimmerman and Adams last year, and it's a perfectly fine first you know numbers you'd expect from a first baseman ryan is like a perpetual tweak to me for till the end of time but i am very uh, glad they brought adams back i think he's a perfect compliment and if anything if ryan does go down and adams becomes an everyday starter it actually balances uh, the left right in our lineup uh, even better you know than if ryan was in there so it, it takes it between a tweak and between some some yacht rock for sure and i've got such a long Anyway, um, right now we are going to bring in Kelly Collis of The Tommy Show. Kelly, thanks so much uh, for taking the time with us today. Any opportunity to talk about the Nats, I take that. <laughs> thanks. Um, now, first off, I wanted to congratulate you on the new app. Um, and for our listeners who might not know, uh, you know, walk us through how you guys got The Tommy Show started. And then tell us a little bit more about this new endeavor you've embarked on. So um, my friend and now business partner, uh, Tommy McFly, and I were on morning radio in D.C. for the last almost eight years. And like so many people in the media business, we were sort of caught up in a corporate decision to change the format of the station. And uh, one random day in October, they let uh, the entire uh, on-air staff go. Wow. wow. And yeah. we were completely surprised because we really felt uh, we were part of the, the fabric of the D.C. landscape, media, and community. And, and uh, several uh, months later, and a lot of work and energy, uh, we built a state-of-the-art studio out of my home and uh, built an app that allows us to reconnect with that audience that we had built up in the D.C. area and now beyond. So in a city where sports talk radio just is all about the Redskins 24-7, 365, what did Colt McCoy have for breakfast? How's Alex <laughs> Smith's leg feeling, you know, on a Tuesday at 3 p.m.? You guys have really carved out a niche for yourself as, you know, just a great place to go for Nat's discussion. Can you tell us how that came about, especially for a pop music show? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I, I drove. Um, I... <laughs> have been a lifelong baseball fan. And when the Nats came to DC, uh, it was, I was like an instant fan, a season ticket holder. I just couldn't, I was so excited. I'm a native Washingtonian to have a team, um, a baseball team right here in the city was just, uh, you know, I didn't care how they did. And, and we know as Nats fans, if you were there at the beginning, it was tough, uh, especially the first several years, sure. but I always loved whether it was RFK and now going to the, the newer stadium. It's just, it's been something that my, I've raised my kids to go to. So when I went onto the radio, it was a natural fit for me to talk because I spent so much time at Nats Park. And the first year I was in radio was in, and was in 2012. And yeah. of course, that was such an exciting year for the team. And then it kind of snowballed from there when I started connecting with other Nats fans that were listening or 
my favorite thing to get is when I hear someone say to me, hey, I've never been to a Nats game, but you got me so excited about the team or the stadium that I decided to go one Saturday with my family. And that is kind of awesome. Now, I read a, a tidbit uh, uh, from an interview that uh, we had on Talk Nats a couple of years ago um, that you and your husband had a first date the day after game five in 2012. Um, I know I, I think I couldn't get out of bed that day. I was just curious how, how that worked and, and how that was. Yeah, we did. We had met through, we were met through online dating. Sure. And so we had met very casually, but we had not yet really been on a date. And um, of course I went to the game the night before and I oh, woke God. up just miserable and, and my now husband had happened to text me saying, Hey, you know, are you around for lunch? And I was so miserable and so sad and I just said okay sure and I remember sitting at the bar and I'm like wearing my Nats baseball cap like I'm still representing and and I started crying you know out of nowhere he was so empathetic and so sweet to listen to me go on and on about the Nats um that was sort of the beginning of it and I we actually had our first kiss after that lunch as well oh wow that's well that's a nice uh kind of silver lining uh to 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 an otherwise (laughs) rough rough couple days yeah So I understand you were just down in West Palm Beach. Anything that stood out on the trip? Yeah, a a few takeaways. I mean, I I have, I'm lucky that I have a, you know, chance to go into the clubhouse. I I got to observe um, Juan and Victor and the two of them kind of playing around each other in the clubhouse. And that really excites me. Those two um, obviously have some sort of special friendship going on. Um, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun to see them in the outfield, but I seen that in the clubhouse and then, you know, kind of going out and, and witnessing the game and seeing that same vibe, uh, is really exciting. I also was kind of struck by, um, you know, Max Scherzer was in the clubhouse as well. And I think that says a lot about sort of the leadership of, um, the team yeah. and the fact that he kind of checked in and was around for a little bit in a game where they, they didn't have all their uh, top tier, you know, Zimmerman and Rendon weren't there. Strasburg pitched that day, but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting to see him um, kind of make a cameo. I was in the, in the clubhouse for about 90 minutes. What else uh, goes on in West Palm Beach aside from the games that, that you might have enjoyed? I, I stayed really close by the Marriott Courtyard. I highly recommend because it's literally five minutes away from the stadium, but we went um, into downtown west palm for dinner the night before and we went to avocado grill and we had a great i went with my 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 dad joined us and my son was with us and of course my husband and uh we we left there and i ran into fp santangelo at the bar and uh he says every night he said that's where he sits is at the bar so if you ever want to run into fp avocado grill don't mean to out him but that's where he was going and holding court uh, there So that was a little bit from Kelly Collis, and uh, we'll be back with her in just a second. First date uh, with her future husband the day after Game 5, 2012. That is insane. Misery loves company, right? (laughs) Exactly. She is vulnerable. She's ready ready for (laughs) love after that night. Yeah, (laughs) you're ready to to be emotional and and, and share yourself after a um, horrific loss like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to do a new segment uh, right now um, called King's Court. (laughs) 
All right, hear ye, hear ye. We are in the King's Court. Uh, the first item on the uh, royal docket is the fans' reaction to Dave Martinez year two. Uh, sir, how do you rule? I rule the fans very guilty of overreacting. I'm guilty. Is that what you want to hear? Hey, look, like, I get it. Dave Martinez didn't have a great year last year. He's a rookie manager. We're all very raw about how we feel Dusty Baker was treated. You know, if, if you want to blame every, anyone, blame the learners. You know, you got to give a guy a chance. He had some crazy injuries last year. He had a bullpen that was not that great. So to sit here and freak out like he's, you know, going to hold us back this year, I, I think it's kind of silly. It's like blaming Jay Gruden for the Redskins' woes. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not Jay Gruden's fault. At the end of the day, you, you could swap Davey Martinez, I think, with a number of people, and you're going to have the same results. So on my list of concerns for the year, he's very low. I think people need to just, like, let him give him a chance and... Yeah. All right. Uh, next on the uh, the royal docket, uh, Mike Rizzo, is he guilty or innocent of not properly addressing the bullpen? I'm ruling him guilty on this one. I demand a trial by combat. I think the bullpen is still short. I mean, we can you can debate whether that guy should be Craig Kimbrell, but I think either way, we we need some more re- proven, reliable, late-inning guys. You just got to just address it now. And if you go over the, the luxury tax a little bit, you, so you lose a draft pick or some international bonus money, I'm like, you're going to lose prospects in July, and you're going to get ripped off, you know? You're going to yeah. get more value now than you will in, in three months when you're over a barrel. So, um, yeah. especially, you know, we, there's, there's so much less room for error in the NL East this year. Uh, we can't afford to have a slow April or a slow May because Doolittle's injured or is you know, working back his fastball velocity. You know, it seems silly to me to invest all this money in starting pitching. You know, I'm like, if you have a better bullpen, you're not wearing out Max Scherzer going to 120 pitches every freaking game. <laughs> you know, so it's like save yourself wear and tear. Have a deeper run in October. Get a better bullpen. All right. Uh, that was the King's Court. Um, and now uh, back to Kelly Collis. As a Nats fan, um, how do you see the season unfolding? What's what's your vibe at this point? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. So that's I think that's an acceptable answer. I think that's an acceptable answer. I, I think it will be interesting to see. Uh, I guess what I'm most excited to see what what the pitching rotation is. Yeah. Um, and, and what that ends up being. You know what I said earlier. I'm really. I mean. Victor and Juan. I know we got to come up with a nickname of those two. I, I, I think that <laughs> is going to be a lot of fun to see. I think the fans, given that they're young players and have so much energy and they're playful, I, yeah. I just think that that's going to provide a lot of excitement for uh, the fans to watch. And, and there's nothing like going to a game when Max Scherzer pitches. So I don't mean to like dance around it, but I, uh, I'm excited that we can all move on after the Harper thing and kind of regroup and, and focus on um, a great team with a lot of young players. That uh, leads perfectly into my next question. Uh, where are you on the whole Bryce Harper thing? Look, I've never been a big Bryce Harper like that. I don't have his jersey and my T-shirt. Like I, neither do I. Yeah. All right, so we're on the same page for that. Yeah. Um, Having said that, uh, being at the All-Star Game and seeing that win, that was an exciting moment in, in, in D.C. I think everyone, all Nats fans were cheering him on, if not the entire stadium, whether you're a Nats fan or not. That was that was really cool to see. Yeah. 
so I, I thank him for that moment. But I've also was at the moments when, you know, it's the bottom of the ninth and we're in a playoff game. So I, I'm kind of ambivalent <laughs> about the whole thing. I, I, as, as a Caps fan I, and as a Washingtonian, I was really put off by what his, his uh, clear allegiance to the Knights. You can be a Knights fan. I get it. You're from Vegas. But yeah. how blatant and, and how open he was about it on his social media I just thought it was a little disrespectful for DC. And of course, you choose Philly, great. I mean, it just was good written. So as an Nats fan, uh, were you offended that he didn't thank the fans on Twitter, or like, you know, in a Washington Post ad, or, or were you ambivalent? Um, I kind of didn't give it too much thought. And then um, I was, I follow Sammy Solis on Instagram, and and him taking a moment, you know, here you have a player that half of Washington would know him if he'd walk into a grocery store. Sure. And him taking the time to thank the team and thank the fans and thank, you know, for the development and the growth that he had as a player, as a Nats player, um, I thought was really just such a nice, thoughtful gesture. And it wasn't until I saw that, I'm like, geez, you know, <laughs> Bryce, you could have done that. Yeah. Um, and and then it got me, that sort of whole angry wave uh, <laughs> came came up again. And, sure. Um and I, I, I do think this sort of lack of respect to DC that he's kind of you know been very not maybe lacking the respect but just flippant to sure. to the fans uh, is unfortunate. Um, but it wasn't until I saw Solis and man, if you haven't seen that Instagram post, it, it, it's worth taking a look at again because that is one of the reasons I love the game. I mean, yeah. it just it, it was everything. So I heard you're doing your show live from opening day this year. Can you let our listeners know where they can stop by? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, so we're going to be down. Um, we partnered up with Mission, which is that giant restaurant right uh, across from the stadium on N and South Capitol. Okay. Uh, we, we have a bunch of Nat swag. We have some other surprises. And then we have um, some Nats fan is going to win three nachos for the entire season from Mission. Wow. Uh, they're opening up the doors around 10 a.m. Uh, we're going to get down there around then. Okay. Um, and we'll be there at least till noon or so um, hanging out. And the weather looks great. So we, we invite everybody to come down and say hi. We would love to to, to see you and meet you and, and hang out and enjoy um, opening day. Awesome. Awesome. Um, now, we're almost out of time. Um, but let our listeners know how they can keep up with you on social media, how they can catch the Tommy show. Oh, wow. Okay. I love it. Um, so our the app is available on iTunes and Google Play. It's if you search the Tommy Show, it will pop right up. Uh, okay. And um, I'm at City Shop Girl, both on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And I love connecting with my Nats fans on Twitter. I love that that the, the community is so active and and very vocal there. Sure. All right. Cool. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time uh, with us today, Kelly. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And go Nats! It's going to be an awesome season. All right, that was uh, Kelly Collis, um, really fun lady. Um, glad she took the time with us. Uh, anyway, I think that's pretty much our show, Brian. Um, opening days in a couple days. Um, what do you think for the season? I'm pretty optimistic this year. You know, I think the the Nats got better, and I think Davey Martinez is gonna be a, do a much better job his second year. And um, barring any crazy injury issues or whatever. Um, I think that, that the Nats will be right there in the hunt. I think it'll be a tough dogfight for the NL East because the other teams, you know, are also improved. 
But um, with a little luck and good health, I think the Nats should be able to uh, be right there for, for the division, and if not win the division, at least get, get the wild card. I'm relatively optimistic, uh, but you know, you could talk me into them finishing 82 and 80 like they did last year. You could talk me into them winning 100 games. I mean, there are just so many variables, like Strasburg, Sanchez, Corbin, Eaton, Brian Dozier, can he hit? I think that they have enough pieces in place that with just any amount of decent luck, you'll have at least an 88-win season and a wild card chase. Um, and with good luck, they could win 100, and with bad luck, they could win 82. Um, so I think it's going to be... Uh, one of the most interesting and exciting years uh, we've had as Nats fans. Uh, yeah, probably since 2012, to be honest. It really could go so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited. I feel like we're we're starting to see the next generation of Nats teams. It, Harper's gone. You've got Absolutely, Soto. Yeah. you got Robla. You're like, this is kind of the, the beginning of the turnover to kind of the next you know, five years or whatever that window is going to be. A lot of questions this year that will determine kind of the next three to five years for the Nats. But I, again, I, I feel I feel good. You know, you never know. Injuries are going to happen. Guys are going to have random freak down years, but then guys are going to have random freak amazing years you didn't expect. So all you can kind of do is, is play the averages, get enough good players on your team. Uh, and, and I think that that's ha- the Nats have that team. Sure, maybe, you know, one of the Sanchez or Corbin has an off year, but then maybe Strasburg has an amazing Cy Young year we never saw yeah. coming. You know, you just don't know. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, I think that's our episode. <laughs> Go Nats. Go Nats. Opening day. Yeah, baseball, baby.